Space. The final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission, to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before. Welcome to Swamp Trek Phase 2, our second episode of the Swamp Flicks Lanyap podcast crew's side project talking about Star Trek. Uh, I am Lieutenant Boomer. And hello, I'm Ensign Hobbs here. And we are here today to talk about Strange New Worlds. Uh, second season just came to an end. Uh, I watched the first season as it was airing, and then Allie watched the first season and then the second season as it was airing as well. So your memory of season one is going to be a little bit stronger than mine. I did try to speed run through these episodes, just like these episodes are speed running through original series style plots. They are. It's great, though. And I'm going to go ahead right now and apologize to any listeners who can hear my air conditioner. Um, It is the 42nd consecutive day of 105 plus degree heat where I live. So just pretend that it's the engine noise. If you can hear my air conditioner, that's not my air conditioner. That is uh, our warp core, the dilithium crystal that pulses endlessly all through the night. um, If you seek out the crystal that powers our flight. Allie, how you doing? I am doing fine. It is finally not 100 degrees here. We only had like three or four days in a row. So I feel blessed in that regard. Um, Sorry to rub it in there. Yeah, it's all right. Yeah, I've, I've been doing good, you know, I'm enjoying the, the warp core sounds. Did you, have you seen on uh, the YouTubes the uh, 10 hours of the ship sounds from Next Gen? Because it makes me happy and I once played it just to like chill out too. I know that for cool factor, I should pretend like I don't know what you're talking about, but I got to tell you, Voyager crew quarter <laughs> ambient sound has gotten me through a couple of sleepless nights. Yeah, so yeah, yeah if if you out there in listener land love Star Trek and occasionally you need white noise or consistently, we're not here to judge. Um, there are YouTube channels where you can listen to ambient sound from various parts of the Star Trek universe. I don't know if they have Deep Space Nine sounds. Um, I don't know how like uh, relaxing that would be if you were constantly having to listen to like Dabo. I was going to say Dabo like... tables. <laughs> <laughs> I uh oh god we're we're off to a great start. Yeah, I, I yeah. love us. Yeah, I love how much is, we love this. This is good. So I don't know about you, Allie, but I actually did go ahead and break these twenty episodes down and um did a list Ooh. from least favorite to most favorite. I just have a few that are like my most favorite. I didn't make a a least favorite list, so yeah. Sorry, I'm not being a hater. <laughs> Well, that's uh, that's fair. It's more like only the very bottom of that list are things that I don't enjoy. Yeah, yeah. It's really just three episodes down there at the bottom. There's a couple episodes that I was like, oh, really? This is not great, but... Do you want to start there? That way we yeah. can get our dislikes out of the way, and then we can move on to what we really want to, like, yeah. squee about. Um, are there any that you really didn't like? I have. I only have a few. Okay, so one that I really didn't like, and um, 
it might be because I haven't watched the sideshow, but I did not like the one with the uh, Lower Decks characters. That one is is in my top three. Oh, it's but I understand. Okay, okay. Yeah, just because I do watch that program and I do really enjoy it. Okay, yeah. I was gonna say I think maybe it's because I yeah I haven't watched that show so sorry sorry. And I think that that's totally fair. It's this is a personal ranking. Other than like I'm sure that you're gonna put something that I really have at the bottom of my of my list higher based on our personal preferences. Yes. Um, which we'll get to in a minute. I guess we did skip ahead a little, so uh, should we play, explain what Strange New Worlds is? Uh, maybe, yeah. We might want to, um, because I don't know how many Swamp Flicks listeners are actually uh, Star Trek fans, and maybe they'll stop listening after a certain point in this episode. Sorry, y'all, regular folks. I mean, you saw the words Swamp and Trek in this, yeah. uh, this episode description, so... Hopefully we're not uh, blowing your brain by the fact that we're not talking about movies like yeah. at all this week. Um, no offense, but you did this to yourselves. No, we, we welcome you here and we do. You know, with, with open arms. We do. You know, maybe you just like the sound of our voices. Um, so back in 1965, the creator of the original show, uh, which we refer to now as Star Trek, the original series, but which is was, of course, only known as Star Trek at the time. Uh, created a pilot starring Jeffrey Hunter as Captain Pike, not the Captain Kirk who we are most uh, familiar with today. And that original pilot was entitled The Cage. It had Captain Pike and uh, characters that the only character that really crossed over from that first pilot into the show proper was, of course, Spock. Spock was there from day one. And there were several things that the uh, NBC producers and higher higher ups and studio execs did not like about that pilot uh first and foremost they did not like that a woman was the executive officer of the enterprise they didn't think that anyone uh in the 1965 or future viewing audience would be able to take the show seriously if a woman was second in command Uh, additionally they did not care for spock and if you go back and you watch that original pilot which i i really enjoy um, you'll notice that Spock shows a lot more emotion, whereas the character of number one is much more like what we would come to know as a Vulcan. She's much um, colder and more logical and less emotional. Uh, so basically, they sort of grafted the number one character's personality onto Spock uh, when they went to a full series and created sort of the Vulcan uh, nature of logic and rejection and repression of emotion that we come to know and perhaps love over the past nearly 50 years. Yeah, I would say, I'd say love. I think we love it. Yeah. Yeah, I love it, but not to speak for anyone, I guess. I, I'm No one perhaps love is, is my default so that I never leave anybody out. I, yeah. I shouldn't do that. Um, this could be considered like the world record for the longest period of time between a show's pilot and the the series proper uh because as you know uh as we know pike was not captain of the enterprise during star trek the original series although the character did reappear in the two-part episode menagerie yeah which is a great episode it's so good um you know it, it spock takes command of the enterprise to rescue his former captain pike who is now bound he's been so horribly burned by delta radiation that he's completely immobilized within 
uh, sort of a fancy future wheelchair that allows him to blink once for yes and twice for no. And that is the extent of his ability to communicate with the outside world. Um, with that in mind, that becomes part of Strange New World's narrative is that this Pike, because of the events of stuff that happened in Star Trek Discovery Season 2, which, Ali, I know you were saying that you haven't finished, so yeah, this I might be a little finished, bit of a spoiler. Yeah, no, go ahead. Go ahead, spoiler. You'll know this just from having watched Strange New World. Yeah. Pike is aware that he is essentially destined to eventually give up his quality of life in order to save some cadets from being killed during an accident. And in fact, his struggle with that forms a lot of the background of season one, even if it's not always in yeah. the forefront. So with that in mind, Strange New Worlds is a new series that is airing on um, Star Trek streaming service. Uh, I, it's called something else. Yeah, it's, it's Paramount else. Plus. Yeah, but yeah. But <laughs> if you're like us, Star Trek is really the only thing that you care about on there. And that's the case for me. Yeah. Uh, I'm very good about canceling my subscription whenever there's no Star Trek. And I always let them know why. Maybe that's why they're yeah, producing keep making so much. more Star Trek. Um, but yeah, so we have Anson Mount as Captain Christopher Pike. We have Rebecca Romaine as uh, First Officer Number One. And Allie, as someone who does not watch Lower Decks, you might find this amusing because you probably don't know. Uh, her husband is Jerry O'Connell. Uh, Rebecca Romaine uh, and Jerry O'Connell are currently married, and he plays the first officer on Lower Decks. So right now, both oh. of them are playing first officers on currently running Star Trek productions. So wow. that's a cute little relationship goals. Bit. I know, right? Ugh, love it. And Ethan Peck as Spock. Uh, we have Celia Rose Gooding as initially cadet and later Ensign Uhura on the show. Oh, should be Captain Uhura. Anyway, I'll get to yeah, that later. Yeah, she'll get there. She'll get there. Her time will come. She's still young. She's got she's got career opportunities yeah. to grow. Um, and then uh, as far as other characters who are returning, we also have Jesse Bush as Nurse Chapel, who low-key is my favorite character. Oh, I love her, yes. And we also have Dr. Mbinga, who had a um, minor role in a couple of original series episodes, most notably, I think, Private Little War. Uh, which was an episode in which um, he was called on because he had done some time on uh, Vulcan as like a medical resident. And he was called on for his like his uh, expertise in um, Vulcan physiology. Uh, and of course, on this on the original series, he was played by Booker Bradshaw, who, if you know me and you know that I'm a fan of uh, the match game, you'll know that uh, I love him. He's one of my favorite characters as well actually yeah very into he's Mega. so good and uh he is played by babs and i've heard this said and i'm going to try and reproduce it alusan mukun and i'm sorry if i butchered that um let's 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 call anson moont uh so that we've we've butchered appropriately yeah. across the board there we go anson um Mo'un. anson Mo'un as pike uh and then of course uh we do have a couple of new characters there's erica ortegas who is the ship's uh, helmsman also a great character i yeah i i agree she gets her i moment. really enjoy her performance i will say and this is something i think we'll get to i think she's very underserved in both seasons yes uh in season one she doesn't get much to do and in season two she gets more to do but it's more repetitive mm -hmm. i think and that's one of the the flaws of this season even though i'm gonna say right at the top i love this show yeah um you have not seen Picard season three. I've not. And 
I've heard nothing but great things for Picard season three. So it was like a religious experience. For yeah. Me. Like I really. Yeah. It started out very, you know, as a quick aside, Picard season three. It's the third season of this like new show, but functions most like season eight of the next generation. And while watching it as someone who grew up on TNG and for whom TNG is my favorite, I don't, I wouldn't say it's the best. I actually think Deep Space Nine is the best. Deep Space Nine is the best. But TNG is my favorite. I respect your TNG opinion. Yeah. It's rewatchable very much. It's more difficult to sit down and watch a random episode of Deep Space Nine than it is to watch a random episode of TNG or Voyager, which is funny because even though uh, I would rank Voyager like third of the classic shows, um, it is the one that I've rewatched more than Deep Space Nine just because of it being easy to sort of pick up anywhere. Yeah, I was going to say, it's really easy to pick Voyager up from anywhere too. Yeah. Uh, season three of Picard, um, that starts out sort of feeling kind of like a reunion, like a family reunion. And then it starts to feel, at least to me, like having almost a religious experience. Like the, the way that I, I felt healed by it at the end in a way that I didn't think was possible. Like it really and truly like fixed some like f- problems in my brain. I feel like chemically that have been lurking around for the past 10 years. So I really enjoyed Picard other, if it weren't for that season, strange new worlds would be hands down to me, the best new Trek. Um, it's yeah. much more consistent than Picard has been. And of course, lower decks is great, but it's a very different kind of show. So Right out of the gate, I'm going to say we love Strange New Worlds. We love it. We do. Um, it's exactly what Star Trek needed as sort of a shot in the arm. For me, it just feels very, very comforting. Like, oh, yes, I feel feelings about Star Trek again. Like, big feelings. I, w- I was just saying off mic that, like, I was not prepared for some of the feelings that I felt, um, which is very, like, next gen as well. Like, there's episodes of next gen there, and I'm just like, I dare you not to cry watching them. I completely agree. So um, I will say, we didn't say uh, Ortegas is played by an actress named Melissa Navia. And finally, rounding out the uh, rest of the main cast is La'an Noonien Singh, played by Christina Chong, which I think we'll want to get into the con discussion at yeah. some point. Um, and I... I love her too, but yeah, I was going to say, I don't think there's an, a character on the show that I, I don't really like, so we'll just yeah. deal with that. Straight up, I love my ice queens, just a thing. Yeah. I, I uh, Before we forget, I guess I should also mention, in the first season, our main engineer is Hemmer, who is an A&R, which is a sort of, um, they're like albino Andorians, which are the blue-skinned antennaed aliens yeah. who appeared on the original series and then most frequently on Enterprise. And in the second season, our uh, engineer is Carol Kane, yeah. playing a character who is like um, very old. Uh, not a lot has been revealed about her. Even by the end of season two, they haven't really gotten into much with um, what her species is other than to say they have like lived on earth for centuries and like they hid among humans and were in many ways functionally immortal so uh carol kane absolutely She's adore her amazing. adore her and everything oh, i know i'm like yes this is one of the things the show needed because like himmer was great and i'm glad we got a good 
engineer after him. Or- yeah, I I guess we should say maybe spoilers for season one, and we'll try to avoid spoilers for season two. We'll try. Um, considering that like season one's been out for over a year. Yeah. Um, Go watch it. Season two just recently finished, so uh, I guess that's uh, we'll try and stick to that as far as a spoiler rule. Where spoilers for season one are free reign. Spoilers for season two. You know, we'll try and keep those as minimal as possible, but obviously in order to talk about some of the episodes, we're going to have to. Yeah. Traveling Starfleet officers know that making even the smallest changes in the past can irreparably change the future. Protecting the timeline from these alterations, sometimes called butterfly effects, is known as the Temporal Prime Directive. There was some kind of attack, something in the past changed, which would mean that my reality is gone. Like La'an and Kirk in Star Trek Strange New World Season 2, Episode 3, Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow, many Starfleet crew members have been faced with preserving the future they have come to know, or restoring it after the changes have been made. My God. Starting off at the bottom, um, so that we can work our way up to maybe some of the better episodes, although we are not necessarily in agreement about what those might be. Yeah, yeah. I absolutely did not enjoy the season's episode, Among the Lotus Eaters. Um, which is the fourth episode of season two. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on that one? I it, I liked it, but it wasn't the best, for sure. It felt a little... It feels the most like an original series episode. Yes. Um, I think. And unfortunately, in this case, that makes it kind of like boring mm-hmm. um and a little repetitive like this one felt like longer than the others because so much of it was being repeated yeah and of course obviously that's because the characters are losing their memory and then they're having to regain their memory this one was very much you know my viewing companion she mentioned like yeah this this one reminds me a lot of the cloud minders from the original series mm-hmm. but i don't know that that's uh necessarily the like even though i agree it's still, uh, there's something, I, I, okay, technologically, they're using that same outdoor shooting technology a lot that they use for the new Star Wars shows, Yeah, where they kind of have everything projected against a dome, and there are some folks that I play games with, and they pointed this out, so I want to make sure they get credit for this initial observation, but I think Among the Lotus Eaters is the episode where you really see the most misuse of that technology i guess we could say where it looks the worst yes. it really shows the shows its um which roughness around the edges if we're gonna talk one. about it being like an original series episode it's very on par for original series to look that way so stylistically i'm like oh okay this kind of matches up but it is also not great looking yeah it's a lot of fun to go back and watch those original series episodes and even like I'll say it, the first season of The Next Generation, where the Ooh. sets are just styrofoam rocks. Yes, yes. Uh, Kat and I were talking about this the other day, and we were specifically talking about the episode where Q makes Riker a Q in the first season oh, of TNG. yeah! And how that whole set is just, uh, you know, because it's funny, you think about the original series, and I watched it um, when I was young enough that I 
couldn't I should have been able to but didn't really notice or think about the distinction between when they were doing planet side shooting on a set versus when they were doing location shooting mm-hmm. mostly because they didn't do location they shooting very much. much yeah you know we mentioned uh private little war they do a lot of a- outside shooting in that one mm-hmm. and then there's the one uh friday's child where kirk spock and mccoy are taking that pregnant woman across like you know mountains and hills and stuff so there's a lot of outside shooting in that one but like when i was a kid they could have shot that outside and then shot like you know scenes on their normal you know orange background styrofoam rock planetary sets and my brain didn't notice a difference so i think that's probably the best time to get into star trek is when you're like nine and ten where that <laughs> that doesn't bother you at all. Well, there's something mesmerizing about like your first watch through with like the original series. I don't know. As like watching through it, I'm like, I don't understand like people thinking that it's like corny. That was like my first watch through. I mean, and then you know my hmm. second watch through through some episodes, I'm like, oh, okay, I get it. But like my first watch through is very like engrossing. You know, like you're really caught up in the philosophy and moral things and like plots and like learning about the characters and the worlds, I think. Yeah. The point where you're like, I don't care about all this other stuff. I want to watch them figure this stuff out. It's very much like a, like they didn't make a showy sci-fi. They make, they made like a tell sci-fi, you know, it's more right. like almost twilight zone you know, like the things they yeah. explore. It's a little bit hypnotic, your first watch through, I think. And I don't know if we've ever talked about this on any of the other podcasts, but like when I was growing up, Star Trek was pretty inaccessible. Yes. Like I saw the movies because multiple people that I knew and families we knew had some of the movies on VHS. And of course, I watched Voyage Home, which was a VHS my family had many times when I was a child before I even like conceived of what star trek was it Mm -hmm. was just like i would be homesick in kindergarten and ask my mom to watch the whale movie like uh and it wasn't for it wasn't for another like four years or so that i really until four years later in uh, 1996 when the big 30th anniversary uh, was happening so it was like magazines and Mm -hmm. action figures and you know first contact is coming out it's the first tng movie without anyone from the original series cast you know it was like sort of a big deal and so i got into it at that time and for a while there maybe a year tng was in syndication at four o'clock after school on channel 33 nbc and baton rouge right uh which was the our our affiliate where we were i was not in baton rouge at the time but yes it it was on and then right around 99 uh, uh sci-fi channel had the original series they acquired it and they um did sort of like a special edition show i don't know if you ever saw this or you remember this but it was a 90 minute programming block on the show they would show the original series over the course of that 90 minutes but it would also include interviews and behind the scenes features I do remember you know this. it's like a vague buried in their memory because my yeah. family was not a star trek family oh no mine mine either so like growing up i would watch tv with my grandma and you know voyager would come on and it was you know the first time some of these voyager episodes were airing and the channel would change you know (laughs) like 
be like, oh, right. nope, it's Xena time. And I still love Xena as well. So, you know, and a I feel like that explains a lot about me as a child is that like I was obsessed with Xena. <laughs> so, you know. Fair enough. I, um, you know, I had access to those movies. I had access, uh, you know, for a few years there, especially in my developmental years, where I didn't have access to the original series. So it only existed to me as the occasional VHS tape that you could rent from like a local uh, video rental place. You know, sometimes we would go into Baton Rouge to visit my grandparents and go to one of the like video rental places there in town. And that was how I originally saw The Cage long before I saw any other episodes of the original series. Uh, So they existed to me mostly as... Uh, synopses in the uh, Star Trek Concordance by B. Joe Trimble and as the novels, which I could get at my library. So like my Star Trek was mostly in my imagination for most of my early years of fandom to the point where in comparison, the original series often does look corny and gawky Mm -hmm. because it's not how I imagined it because my mind wasn't limited by the special effects budget of the 1960s. Yeah. I would say that it wasn't really like really available until it was on Netflix mid 2010, you know? Yeah. Some of our listeners might get a broadcast channel called H and I, which stands for heroes and icons. And it's currently airing there. TNG was much easier to find in syndication for a long time because yeah. when TNN rebranded as Spike, they initially uh, they had this package deal where they acquired the Next Generation and Deep Space Nine and Voyager. Although they had to stagger the releases, which is also probably why I've seen more Voyager than TNG uh, or than Deep Space Nine because TNG came out. Um, it's sad that I still remember this, but it was October 1st, 2001 when they first started airing the next generation. And then they could do deep space nine, two years later in the fall of Oh three. And then Voyager two years after that in the fall of Oh five, that was their like um, agreement package. And unfortunately that 2003 to 2005 era where deep space nine was on the air perfectly overlaps with the period of time that I was in boarding school. Yeah. Uh, So, uh, and then, you know, I I graduated from high school in 05 and, you know, commuted to college from home for the first year. So Voyager was always on because that was when their Voyager package released it. Which is interesting because those era, that era for me was, I was about to go to college and uh, there was just like, marathons of tng on tv and so i would sit and watch it and i would have one of my friends on the phone and we'd be watching it at the same time making commentary like it's like the uh pre-live tweeting of watching next generation is talking on the phone with my friend and like feeling sad about the plot points they give Troy because I love her and she's really good at her job but they give her the worst plots is she your favorite she might be yes i love her she's she's mine also yeah actually. yeah i always call her the love of my life deanna troy so i guess she is my favorite uh conceptually as a character she's the best mm-hmm. narratively unfortunately they often give her the worst plot lines yes and some of the best i think and i and i also think that marina Sirtis like elevates some of those uh poorly conceived and poorly written episodes just by nature of being you know really great and counselor troy being really like likable in my opinion 
Yeah. God, we're 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 talking about TNG again. I know, we always I do. Know. We always end up back at it. So there were Pike comics in the nineties, and I actually read those a few years back. Whoa. Yeah, I don't think that they called it Strange New Worlds, but it was like Star Trek the early years or like something like that, where they were comic books about the characters that we knew from the cage. So there are several that don't cross over into Strange New Worlds. Um most notably Yeoman Colt, who's Pike's Yeoman in the original pilot. She was a pretty major character in those comics because I think that the writer took it as an opportunity to make up for the way that Grace Lee Whitney's Yeoman Rand was so poorly treated Mm -hmm. um, in the original series. And of course, we should also, or maybe we don't have to address this, but I'm going to, uh, and many of the novels, the Peter David ones, he's a very self, he's a very referential writer. He really likes to get into the minutia and plant little Easter eggs for fans. And there is a character in the New Frontier novels that he wrote, which was like the first attempt within pocketbooks to create like a new Star Trek plotline that wasn't uh, bound by any of the television programs. Mm-hmm. Although it had many like crossover characters, the ship's first officer was Elizabeth Shelby, who was uh, the woman gunning for Riker's job in the best of both worlds, two-parter in TNG. Uh, Robin Leffler, who was a minor recurring character on TNG in a couple of spots, uh, played by Ashley Judd, was like the oh, ops yeah, officer on yeah. the ship. Wesley's girlfriend. Yes, with her rules for life. Yeah, And then there was a Vulcan doctor who served under Crusher named Dr. Solar, who only appeared in the TNG episode, The Schizoid Man, but who was played by recurring Star Trek actress Susie Plaxon, who also played Kalar, Worf's mate and Alexander's mother, as well as the female Q and um, the lady Andorian that was a major character uh, alongside Jeffrey Combs as Shran uh, in Enterprise. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. She that that uh, doctor served as the chief medical officer on the ship as well. And then the rest were all sort of original characters that Peter David came up with. But it is eventually revealed that a character named Morgan Primus, who you are expected to understand is number one from uh, Pike's Enterprise, turns Mm -hmm. out to be Robin Leffler's mother and she's immortal. And then she eventually uh, gets uploaded into the ship, which is, of course, a gag about how Majel Barrett voiced the ship's computers until her passing. Um, at the end of the last decade or uh, two decades ago. Um, I, now we've laid the groundwork. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's the background of which like Strange New Worlds is coming in. So it's after Discovery, but pre-original series is where yes. we're at. And your expectations of what your knowledge should be about the rest of the franchise is fairly minimal. It's a very low barrier to entry. Oh yeah. Uh, We just are nerds and therefore Mm -hmm. we enjoy all of the things that are in there for us to enjoy, but it's a very low barrier to entry as far as like getting into Star Trek. Maybe one of the best entry Star Treks, I would say. I would agree. I I really would. You know, uh, the stuff that you're supposed to know about from discovery, they get to pretty early in the pilot. Or in the in, in the yeah, they breeze over premiere. it a little bit, and they're like, "Yeah, this happened." Okay, let's go on. Um, I guess we don't have to do this in best, worst to best order because we probably won't agree. We could go from I was gonna say what's uh, start our, from the top. What's our uh, second worst though? We might agree on this one. I really didn't care for the Elysian Kingdom in season oh, one. Yeah, yeah. Okay, mine was gonna be that one, or it's tied with the musical episode. 
Oh, really? You put the musical episode down there at the bottom. Yeah, I did not enjoy it very much, no. Okay, fair enough. I wasn't sure how, because that is my third worst um, for me down there. I I enjoyed it more than the Elysian Kingdom. I think for me, the thing about the Elysian Kingdom one is that that's also a very original series style plot. But the end was a real, real emotional uh, yeah, I was actually so I was I was dating someone and we watched the first season together and they did not enjoy that ending. They were like, so she's just energy now and she never sees her father again. And I had to explain like, well, you know, in Star Trek, it's like generally like a, a thing that people really love um, yeah. is to ascend to a higher plane of existence. Like that happens uh, th- a lot. Wesley, right? It happens to Wesley. There's a joke. There are several jokes about it on Lower Decks. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the character from the episode Evolution uh, in the Next Generation, who is sort of like the John Doe who appears aboard the Enterprise, and it turns out he's like ascending into an energy being, uh, and his society doesn't like it. <laughs> yeah, and then there's the ghosts of Valeria, which they seem to not like being energy. Yeah. You know, the like the Organians have ascended, right, from mm-hmm. the original series and who reappear on Enterprise, although I'm spoil- I guess that's a spoiler for a 20-year-old show now, that oh. they're Organians on Enterprise. Um, there's, yeah, ascending to a higher plane of existence is not a problem for me. That's a very Star Trek story. It's like, oh, I'm going to become energy now. Uh, but it really was more of an opportunity for the cast to play dress up. And I think that they probably had a really good time. But as much as I like Mbinga, I was kind of, it was not, it didn't really capture my attention very well. Yeah. And so I'm sure there are people who really enjoyed it. We get a much better Mbinga episode in season two. Yeah. So uh, those were my bottom three was I did not care for Among the Lotus Eaters because uh, it was boring. I didn't care for the Elysian Kingdom because I don't know when there are so few episodes, it felt like this one, as fun as it was for some people, I'm sure it felt like a holodeck episode yes, almost and did. not like a good one. It felt yeah. like the one where Naomi Wildman is in the forest in Voyager. It wasn't oh, even like, you yeah, know. that episode. Uh-huh. And then subspace Rhapsody. I, we could let, I, maybe we should dig in on this one for a little bit because yeah. I don't like musicals and you do. And we both did not really enjoy this. Musical I thought episode at all, all of the, I thought some of the numbers were just like way too long. Long and boring. Yeah, yeah. Like all of the La'an numbers were like long and boring, and it's like I get it. She has a gorgeous voice, right? We get it. You know, I them doing the sort of like K-pop Klingon thing close to the end oh, was God. cute. See, I thought that was like the most cringy, and then I was like, yeah, I understand why the Klingons want to like blow everybody up. This is very dishonorable. <laughs> yes, it it th- yeah, it is very dishonorable. The thing was, we, my friend and I, when we were watching it, Kat and I, we were like, this would be much more funny if, and and it clearly takes some inspiration from Once More with Feeling, right? Mm -hmm. The Buffy musical episode. Yeah, I was going to say, there was like a musical episode of like every big show of the 90s, except maybe Next Gen and like Voyager and stuff. Like, Xena has a musical episode. It's also not great. I never saw the Buffy musical episode. I've heard hit or miss things about it. I go back and forth on it myself. Yeah. But the I will say there are textual references in this one to Once More With Feeling. Like um, 
there are a couple of lines that are taken from those songs. Like, mm-hmm. I've got a feeling, uh, and there's a long digression about bunnies, which is also present in Once More with Feeling. So they're clearly paying homage to that. But unfortunately, it feels like they missed what makes Once More with Feeling kind of timeless and likable, which is that it's also very funny. Because the whole town of Sunnydale in that episode is forced to sing. It's not just the main characters. And so you get tiny little moments like people arguing about parking tickets, um, whether or not the dry cleaner was able to get mustard out of a shirt. Those are also turned into little musical notes. And so there's enough to play through it that it makes it kind of funny where even if you don't necessarily enjoy it, there's something there to keep you entertained. And also, like, you know, we get the side characters, like, joining in with their sometimes fabulous and sometimes terrible dance choreography. And yeah, it's like, they have their own stuff that's going on. Yeah. Uh, One thing that would have really saved it for us, and we were talking about it while watching it, me and Kat, was like, if there had been crewmen joining into the songs who were not good singers. Yes, like, that I thought makes about that funny. too. I was like, why isn't everybody beautifully voiced in all of that? Like, why doesn't a single person on the ship have a horrible voice? I need this. Like, not, not to bring in yet another television program to this discussion, but The Magicians did a musical episode in either its second or third season, and it went over so well that they made a few more. And again, what it understood that Strange New World seems to not is that it should be funny, which is strange because Strange New Worlds is actually probably the best Star Trek series at handling comedy yeah, rather than any of the others before. I think one of my favorite episodes is the charades episode. I have charades and Spock Amok in my top five. And, like, I don't even like that they keep going back to Spock, but those episodes are great. Yeah, I I definitely want to talk about, first of all, it's absurd that charades was not a plot that the original series actually did. I know! Right? Like, I know that we'll get to it, but, like, as far as comedy goes, Deep Space Nine, whether or not you can tolerate the Ferengi comedy episodes varies Mm -hmm. from person to person. Yeah. And it's the only one that tried it consistently, whereas the others would occasionally do a comedy episode, but it wasn't, they never land. They never quite feel right. I think some of the Ferengi episodes are funnier than others. And I think there's some really funny, like, uh, Dax episodes, so. I would agree. But yeah, other than that, like, Strange New Worlds does have, like, some seriously funny moments. Like, even, like, okay, the episode, The Serene Squall. I yeah. really loved that episode, yeah. and I can't wait for that hot goth lady pirate to come back. I know, right? That's actually at my number six, and I, I'm noticing that you're pointing out, like, my top two episodes are both very dramatic ones, and then everything after that, all of the comedy episodes are kind of bunched up together right behind number one and number two, and then it kind of gets into the middling episodes yeah. and then down to the bottom where we're, we're talking about so one of my favorite episodes is um, Ad Astra per Aspera. That's my number one. Yeah, it's so good. Like, okay, this episode is entirely a court case. And that makes it sound so yeah. boring. But it is a beautiful episode because it is about uh, Una Chin Riley, number one. And she's been hiding the fact that she is an Illyrian, which is a genetically engineered species. And... 
after the eugenics wars, which Laan Noonien Singh's ancestor, Khan, who anybody knows who Khan is at this point. Yeah. It's just yeah. cultural osmosis. We all know Khan. Yeah, Khan is like Willy Wonka and, yeah. you know, Dorothy Gale. <laughs> yeah. Like characters that everyone knows. Yeah, so, or even Darth Vader. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, Khan commits a lot of eugenic crimes and has a eugenics war. And so the Federation bans genetic modification and will not allow Illyrians in the Federation because of their culture of genetic modification. And Una hides this and, uh, yeah, eventually gets caught and then court-martialed. And that is like the whole episode is fighting her court-martial. And it's really good. Yeah, you know... I hear you saying that a court case episode could be boring, but yeah. there's like a really long history of really there great are. Star Trek like courtroom episodes. The, K- the Menagerie. Starting with the Menagerie and then Court Martial as well, which is another really great one. Yeah. Where, you know, Kirk is accused of um, intentionally letting one of his crewmen die. Yep. Uh Measure of a Man, which is frequently cited as one of the franchise's best, where the court case is about whether or not Data is a, a person. Oh, that one's so good, yeah. I would also add to that list the Drumhead, which is the one where they have sort of the witch hunt aboard the Enterprise-D, which is led by a retired admiral. And Picard eventually has to give one of his great speeches about like justice and how it's not right to judge someone because they share the blood of an enemy. And that Mm -hmm. one's a really powerful one as well. This, I still think, uh, and also there, there's a lot of fun Cardassian court stuff in Deep Space Nine. Yeah. And then Voyager, I don't think really has any proper courtroom episodes. I I would say the analogies would be the one where the Q wants to kill himself. Yes. And they sort of, you know, let Janeway decide as an impartial party whether or not he should be allowed Mm -hmm. to have euthanasia and then there's also the episode where the doctor is reactivated 700 years after voyager visited a planet yeah and they have this warped view of of the historical event uh that one sort of functions as an analogy for a trial episode as well and then it's not really a trial episode but you know the one with america's sweetheart brad deriff being a uh serial murderer like and yeah reformed by vulcan meditation techniques is um yeah very very similar that's it yeah meld i would say is like almost like a um like an episode of murder she wrote yeah where you're trying to figure out who the killer is it's more of a mm-hmm. mystery yeah and i don't know i can't remember enterprise well enough to say whether or not they had a courtroom episode and but... i never watched enterprise because i could not get past the first episode so i okay quick to quick digression about enterprise it gets better as it goes along okay i do know the end of enterprise though but yes oh yeah it's infamous Mm -hmm. um the thing about enterprise is that it came out when i was a teenager i was 14 it was on a channel we didn't get everybody hated it right out of the gate everybody made fun of the theme song and the theme song is so bad i've come to accept it as part of my life but I, I think that this mockery is well-deserved. The first 20 times you hear it, you're like, this is awful. And then the next 20 times you hear it, you're like, oh, this is just the worst. And then somewhere around the 60th time you hear it, you're like, yeah, faith of the heart. You're yeah. like, I don't know what happens. It's like you get Stockholm Syndrome about it. Uh, that having been said, everybody hated it right out of the gate. 
I saw a couple of episodes from season one, all of which were bad. Uh, just when I had occasional access to the station that it was on. And then I just let the internet tell me what the discourse about it should be for like the next 20 years. And then right at the beginning of quarantine, when nobody knew how long we were going to be in it, I was like, well, I guess I should watch Enterprise. My thought process was, if I'm not going to watch it now, I'm never going to watch it. So I did. And for me, Enterprise, the first two seasons are not very good. They're not very good Star Trek and they're not very good. But if you imagine the show as a workplace drama Mm. about this extremely intelligent, uh, functional, older woman uh, who is constantly having to manage like the fragile egos of her white male coworkers. It's a, it's much yeah, more that's, tolerable that's kind that of way. What I've heard about it is, yeah. Topol is great. She is a great character, and she is constantly surrounded by all of these like really insecure people, or just like completely bananas. Uh, you know, making decisions that are absurd. And then my my other favorite thing about T'Pol is like somewhere around the end of season two, beginning of season three, she leaves her actual position as a member of like the Vulcan Science Academy or whatever. Mm-hmm. And she stops wearing, uh, they tried to do a seven of nine Jerry Ryan like cat suit with her, right? Yeah. And it was always a really terrible pattern. All of her Vulcan clothes were hideous. But then it gets worse because after she technically gets off of the Vulcan Science Council assignment and just is serving aboard the ship, she's constantly wearing like these, they're basically velour tracksuits. Like she spends the rest of the show dressing like a mobster's wife. Yeah. And it's so um, funny to me. That's something. Anyway, Enterprise digression. Sorry, we're like we're we're forty five minutes. Yeah, we we're so barely, we're so barely off. scratched the surface. Uh, so, what are your other favorite episodes? I, I I don't think we need to move on from Ad Astra yet. Oh yeah, yeah, that's what true. You're, I I think that this one is also you know as far as Star Trek being a metaphor, which it always has been. This one comes at a, like a really important time as far as like a lot of people uh, really wanting to roll back rights for trans people and yes this is a this is a story about you know someone being held criminally liable for changes to their body which they should have full agency over it's not changes to their bodies that happened when they were a kid like someone who is getting court-martialed and jailed for who they are right And, and I think that we can actually talk about Khan here a little as well. Uh, what are your general thoughts on how Khan is currently being used by Star Trek uh, in its like modern incarnations? Okay, so Khan originally, you know, is this big baddie. He believes in creating a strong human race. Like he's obviously in some ways a Hitler parallel, and you know there is that. But then every, like, sequential series, like, afterwards, we hear about genetically engineered people and they're always, like, unfairly treated or, like, jailed or put in a facility. So, like, in Deep Space Nine, eventually we find out that Julian Bashir has been genetically engineered to be, like, who he is, the obnoxious little twink that he is. Uh, To to correct, like, a a birth 
problem. Yeah, like he had exactly. some sort of congenital uh congenital issue that the genetic engineering fixed. Yeah, and then eventually he gets in charge of these other people who are genetically engineered and they're super like autistic coded. And you just see that like instead of being treated fairly or the Federation having people figure out what to do with them, they just like give them to Julian and they're like, hey, figure out these people for us. Um, which I guess is them doing it but by this time these people are adults and so you know you kind of have that deal there and then you know obviously strange new worlds we have una being treated like this so you know it's an interesting parallel of like our modern day discussions on genetic manipulation and stuff like with our current stuff because like a lot of people talk about it and then it's mentioned as eugenics and then a lot of people talk about it for being used to like we were talking about julian like correct birth defects and stuff like that and so you know i think it's a good dialogue to have where it's like how far is too far and what do we do about it for the people that it has happened to already so i think con in that context is interesting but I especially think the episode where La'an goes to a different universe and then sees Khan as a small, innocent child stuck in this facility is especially, like, really great because it's like every monster in history started out as a kid. And what do you do right. you know, when you know that this kid is going to grow up and be a monster? Um it's very like, could you go back in time and shoot Hitler? Parallel. Right. So yeah, that that episode was also very interesting use of Khan. So I I don't know. So I uh, that was my least favorite element of that episode. Like I liked the time travel stuff. Yeah, I liked yeah. The parallel the universe stuff. stuff I liked. Great. I think um, Christina Chong and mm-hmm. um, Paul Wesley, who I, we haven't mentioned this yet, but James T. Kirk is a character on the show. He's not. Yeah. He doesn't show up until the end of season one, and then he appears intermittently throughout season two as a minor uh, recurring character. Um, in this episode, the two of them, La'an and a version of him from a timeline where the Federation never existed, uh, both travel back in time to contemporary 2023 and then have the opportunity to uh, kill child Khan Noonien Singh, which I don't know if you care about this or you think about this or what. But the fan theory and what I have chosen to accept is that the timeline of the eugenics wars keeps getting changed because of temporal war time, temporal cold war stuff. Yeah, I like that theory. Yeah. All of the temporal stuff. That's always my favorite thing is at the end of the time travel episodes, like these weird temporal officers show up and they're like, you're not supposed to do that. Our bad. Yeah. it's great. It's particularly funny in this um, episode that they're like that come down on La'an, mm-hmm. considering that she was traveling with Kirk, and it's established in Deep Space Nine that Kirk has the longest list of violations <laughs> with the prime of really? the temporal. He does, yeah. And that deep, but you know, he saved them episode, with the whales, where they go back in time to the the Tribbles episode. Oh, that episode, oh, so great, so good, so great. So my feelings about Khan, and I saw someone express this online, and I feel like I need to agree. The contemporary writers of Star Trek think that Khan 
is something the fans want to see more than we actually do want to see it. Yeah. Because it's not just it's not just that we have, you know, um, the original series Space Seed episode and then Wrath of Khan. Khan also was brought into the the reboot movies mm-hmm. as the like villain of the second yeah. one, the worst, the worst one. Um, one. The one that caused me not to watch the third one. Yeah. Oh, I think you'll enjoy it when you see it. Okay. I, I really love that one. It's my favorite of those three. Mm-hmm. But in that one, Khan is the villain and they sort of recreate key elements from Wrath of Khan. And it's also worth noting that Khan is brought up in Enterprise where uh, there's actually in season four when the show was at its best it was doing really like fan servicey three-parters essentially mm-hmm. so there was one where a group of augments who were being overseen by um one of the many ancestors of dr sung played by um brent spiner uh was like the yeah. actual doctor who was doing the genetic uh, experimentation and in fact, we see yet another one of those even further back in time in Picard season two. There's a Brent Spiner, <laughs> Dr. Soong ancestor yeah. who is working on cybernetics and then moves to genetic engineering, like in the final shot of that by opening a drawer and pulling out a file that says the Khan project. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's been it's been brought up more often than it really ought to be for something that's. Uh, well known but not necessarily as important part of this canon as what it was like it, they're great it's, you know it's just two things before 2000 and now there's just con all the time and i do think it's interesting that they have this like condescendent character uh in laan who is a main character on the show and you can sort of see her process the trauma of the mockery that she underwent as a child for having like the name of one of history's greatest yeah. monsters. Laon has like the saddest of Star Trek stories, frankly. She's like Tasha Yar done right, kind yeah, of. Yeah, she is. You're right. Maybe that's why I like her so much. Because I love Yar. So, you know. Yeah. Like I said, I love those ice queens, Um, just generally. It's like a thing. I, uh, I, I really did enjoy their episode together the one that we were just talking about uh, with mm-hmm. Khan as a child i do think that that might be too much con for this and yeah. i you know it just sort of felt a little um like i felt like them bringing up cybok in season one which they have not brought back yet was much more intriguing to me because yeah. we haven't seen cybok done over and over again with each um, person who takes the reins of the franchise in whatever form that is, giving it their own. Well, it's like uh, how they spin. keep using Spock. Yeah, except the, the the thing is, Spock is the most famous character from this franchise, so I know why they're doing it. He's always been that way. He is, you know, n- not to like cut you off, but like he he's the main character of the franchise by default. Khan is not. That's what them going to the Khan well so much is is strange to me. Them going to the Spock well makes total sense, even if I don't necessarily love it. Yeah, like I really am just like find a new character. There's so many good characters in Star Trek. Like I was glad that they did Picard, even though I'm just like, let's let's make a new plot. Let's do it. You know, when they brought Spock onto Discovery, I was just like, really. I felt the same way at the time. I did. Uh, He grew on me. Yeah. Um, 
And I actually really enjoyed the chemistry that he had, uh, that Ethan Peck had with Sinequa Martin-Green. Like, I have a lot of problems with Discovery. Yeah. Her acting is never one of them. Like, yeah. she gets yeah, she gets great. so much nonsense from racists on the internet who blame mm-hmm. the problems with the show on her, and it's not yeah, her. She is an her. amazing performer. She's great, and... Well, obviously, the wonderful Doug Jones is great. Oh, always. Always yeah. a pleasure to see him. Love him. Uh, you know, her her chemistry with Ethan Peck as Spock was great. Like, I, the whole concept of Discovery where there's a long, you know, we learned that a character has a long lost sibling and they're like the new lead of this, mm-hmm. which I want to talk about George Kirk in a second, actually. We want to George get Kirk. That, but, um, <laughs> you know, I actually believed them as siblings and it ended up being something that seemed like a really like basic attempt at re-energizing interest in the franchise by having Spock's sister be the lead. But by the end of it, I was like, yeah, actually. And you know, shit. Do you care about discovery spoilers at all? No, I, I'm not, I'm not particularly like spoiler picky, I guess. Um, I'm, I'm not one of those people. So the resolution of season two of discovery. And again, I guess spoilers for anyone who's going to watch that. Uh, in order to handle some of the issues that are brought up as part of the season two finale, the discovery has no choice, but to like, they end up in the future and everything about their uh, voyage, including like people who served on the ship are classified information. So Mm. the reason that nobody knows that Spock has a sister in like the original series or later is because like her actual existence is a matter of like classified security and the discovery itself ends up in like the 30th century. And that's where seasons three and four take place. And I think one of discovery's finest moments actually is one of the episodes of season three is entitled unification part three. Mm. And so in this future, uh, Michael is able to watch footage of Leonard Nimoy Spock and like see his involvement with the reunification of Vulcan and Romulus, which has come to pass in the 30th century. Like they are a reunited people. And yeah. like the fact that he never got to see his life's work complete, but that she did as his sister is actually like one of Discovery's finest moments, I think. So yeah, it ended up working for me eventually. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I don't I don't mind that they keep bringing back Spock as long as they don't try to deep fake it like the Star Wars franchise does. Yeah. Like we've had so many Kirks and so many Spocks like Paramount's never going to deep fake Leonard, Leonard Nimoy's face onto, onto like a, an actor for a whole movie or anything. And thank God. And thank God. <laughs> I agree. I would be so sad if they did that. I would yeah. be like, why'd you do this to me, Paramount? Uh, do you hate me <laughs> you didn't see the flash but i did and it, it still hurts my soul a little the things that i witnessed in that oh yeah 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 let christopher reeve rest let him rest oh god i yeah i did not know about that oh, aspect of it yikes yeah yeah that's big yikes so about george kirk first of all he's great <laughs> yeah he's amazing i love george kirk i'm like poor george Poor Georgie. Yeah, and looking back, you know, talking about the original series. So we have George Kirk, right? And he's Kirk's brother. And we actually, he's been canon for a long time, right? And, yeah. Um, there's even there's even a version of him that appears in sort of like the childhood segments of that 09 reboot. 
Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you, you probably know this, but just in case our uh, listeners don't, George Kirk on the show is Kirk's older brother, but he is not as um, advanced in his career because, of course, Jim Kirk, one of his defining traits is his ambition and his drive, whereas George is the scientist who's happy with his position and the job and like just has a passion for his uh, career. Yeah, he's a xenoanthropologist, correct? Yes. Yeah. Let's say yes. Which is a cool as hell job, okay? Xenoanthropology, cool position. I'm just going to throw that out there. I'd be a xenoanthropologist. Why not? Like I said, I'm, I'm in the sciences. I always say I'm in the sciences because in NextGen, that's where they put like the childcare people, but also xenoanthropology. It's great. You know, I don't know why you gave yourself the ensign title at the beginning of this episode. I, I chose lieutenant out of me. I chose lieutenant out of humility because I don't, I don't think that I would be even a lieutenant commander at this point in my life. Yeah. But I think that you would definitely, you and I would have the same rank. Well, I don't know why. It, it kind of looks bad if we don't, too. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, you don't think I'd be a captain? Come on. <laughs> I, I, on, in all honesty, I would most likely be a barista in 10 forward. Hell yeah. 10 forward rules, though. Yeah. I, people, did we talk about this on the previous episode about people's concerns about the Star Trek economy? Uh, no, we haven't. And it's so funny to me because I'm just like, why? Just just enjoy it. Yeah, uh, there's so many people online who are really telling on themselves. Because the commentary that I often see is like, oh, well, you know, if I had access, you know, if I had everything and access to a holodeck, I would never really leave the house. And it's like, yeah, man, that's like your existence now. Your holodeck is just like a gaming PC. Like, yeah, I was gonna say that's on you. That's on you. And there's that, that. There are people who, unbound by the um, strictures that one socioeconomic class places on your ability to pursue your passion, more people would pursue their passion. I think. It's and true. to me, I think it makes total sense that there would be servers on board, like the Enterprise D, or people who had service jobs out on the out in space because they would be different Uh, people display a lack of imagination when they say that that to me because they also can't foresee a future with no karens like that's what makes the service industry shitty now but we're talking about a utopia so everyone's needs are satisfied you're not going to be constantly dealing with a constant you know influx of like over entitled people this is a this is a utopia so why wouldn't you serve on the enterprise d as like a waiter because then you get to go around and have fun like shore leave on planets that you're visiting without having to go through like the rigorous yeah (laughs) and it is it doesn't to be very rigorous and you gotta like adjust i don't know it kind of seems like a cool job because you get like all the the sweet gossip yeah the Lower Decks episode of season seven of TNG really shows like you get to know a lot of stuff. You know more than some of the crew does. That's fun. Oh, yeah. I would make so much drama. Oh I yeah. Would make so much drama on the Enterprise D. They'd bust me down to working on like a relay station pretty quick though. Yeah, they probably would. Or, you know, you would just uh go hang out in Ryza and have a great time. Yeah. As long as Wharf doesn't show up. <laughs> 
So about uh, Sam Kirk, George Samuel Kirk, um, it's so strange to me that in the original series, he's a character, but they don't do a single thing with him. He only appears on screen in the original series as a corpse. And it's just Shatner in a mustache, which the, that's the joke of why yeah, yeah, uh, Sam Kirk on the he has a mustache on Strange New Worlds is because of that that gag. But yeah, it's just Shatner in a mustache. What a strange narrative choice, right? Uh-huh. Like even in the '60s, you would think that if they were going to introduce a sibling of a main character, they would introduce them as a character, not just as like a corpse that's there for the motivation of that episode sam kirk isn't killed by the klingons he's not killed by the romulans he's not killed by khan he's not killed by some recurring enemy it's just like you know um parasites yeah uh what a strange choice to give your main character a dead sibling right Mm -hmm. off the bat i don't know Looking back on it, it's very strange. So I'm glad that we're getting like a Sam Kirk like arc here. Yeah. Also, it's you know, he he looks better in a mustache than William Shatner. So we'll give him that. Yeah. If they had to pick a guy to wear a mustache, you know, I think they did a they did a good job. Yeah. I. Uh, what are some of your What are some more of your favorites? Because we talked about Ad Astra. That one I think is very great. Yes. And you know, I, I know that you mentioned you didn't love the crossover episode I, yeah. but i do love that una is validated yes. by boimler having really been inspired to join starfleet by her example i i do love that 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 conclusion of that specific narrative arc for her that continues from that uh, what would you put as was that your number one um i might be actually i'm trying to think um like i said i really like the charades episode is amazing um another episode and i usually do not like it when they make star trek really gritty but under the cloak of war was a really good episode really yeah okay i really liked that one um even though that one is a very tng style episode too even though i was like god damn and benga like They reveal his, like, record as having the most confirmed hand-to-hand kills. And I'm just like, really, Joseph? What the hell? Yeah, it's it's interesting. um, Because that one really does feel like a TNG episode to me. That one, because TNG was much more likely to have, like, oh, we're going to be transporting, like, transporting these ambassadors. And one of them is going to have some connection to a member of the crew unfortunately it was often one of them wanting to take advantage of troy um but it wasn't always that and this one where i I do really like this cowardly klingon character Mm -hmm. and this ambassador he reminds me kind of like a ds9 villain yeah exactly a cardassian who is really um in denial about just how bad the occupation of bajor was yeah and Um, like like cardassians he's like waxing poetic about like all the good he's doing in the world and yeah yes not necessarily gold cut but similar yeah he's he's certainly no gold cut who uh, to me gold cut is like a top three star trek villain he's great yeah i think my i think my favorite villain is actually kai uh when i think that she's she's the most interesting villain of the entire like uh franchise to me personally but because she believes it yeah. you know 
she 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 really believes that she's she's the best of the best i put under the cloak of war pretty low um it's below the the midpoint for me ah, sort of yeah, in the yeah. um it's it's not bad but it's like it's not down there with the like lower lowest three but it's it's very much in this section of like oh here's um here's where the the episodes that are pretty standard are yeah that don't necessarily stand out too much my number two is actually the season one finale a quality of mercy oh really yeah i really enjoyed that one see that one's in my mid really yeah, I um, thought it was a weird season finale. I think if it had come before the Gorn episode, I might have liked it more. But the Gorn episode, All Those Who Wander, really felt like a season finale. And then they did that yeah. for the season finale of season two. So I guess that was why they didn't do it. No two Gorn episodes of season finales. Right. Also, can we talk about the Gorn? Sure. And yeah, let's do it. how we're not barehanded against the Gorn and we still stand a chance. Um Sorry, the episode in the original series with the Gorn, it's just like this reptilian guy in a suit and Kirk is like having gladiatorial like hand-to-hand combat against him. And there's this line that's barehanded against the Gorn. I stand no chance. And um, I say that line a lot because my cat is named Gorgonzola (laughs) and he used to be a demon child. So it was like barehanded against the Gorg. I stand no chance. Which is pretty great. Um, But yeah, uh, yeah. and now in this series, there's this episode, All Those Who Wander, that is a love letter to the movie Alien, which we all love. Right. And I like what they've done with the Gorn. I did not expect to when my friend was like, they've made the Gorn terrifying. But I do like what they've done with the Gorn, especially like you get this first episode where the Gorn are very like competitive with each other, very like survival of the Gorn fittest, you know, and they're chest bursting and they're like little baby aliens like eating each other and all the people. Um unfortunately that is the episode we lose Himmer. Yeah, R.I.P. Yeah, R.I.P. Himmer, because I, I loved him. Um but you know we'd get Pelia and she's great too. And then in the second episode they like Hegemony, um the last episode of season two, Gorn are now cooperative. And so I think, you know, I was talking about this to um, Thomas and uh, we were saying, or I was saying to him that like my theory about the Gorn is like they are socially evolving, like not necessarily physically, but their society is evolving to a point where, Mm. where they are becoming more civilized and more cooperative because that's how societies are more successful in the universe. Like, right. that's how they advance even more. And so maybe by the time we get to barehanded against the Gorn, I stand no chance. <laughs> We've got this more, like, civilized version of the Gorn, which is why Kirk is able to just hit it over the head with a rock. But, you know, we're okay with having inconsistencies. But I do think it's an interesting, like... From season one to season two, we have totally different Gorn social behavior. And, like, they point out, like, we don't understand what they want. And it's very different from when we first see them in, um, really early in season one, in Memento Mori, which is, like, the third or fourth episode, 
where we get more about La'an's backstory, mm-hmm. where her entire family was killed by like Gorn. Like she watched them. Yeah, eat, she watched them eat. Um, before she was rescued, she's like Newt grown yeah. up. She's like an adult version of Newt yes, from Aliens. Exactly. So we do get to see how Newt needs therapy for life. Yeah. <laughs> not, yeah. Not the truth. So yeah, uh, I think I think that Gorn is an interesting thing here because of that. Because yeah, we're like. Like, I like the idea of this group of people is a monster. We don't really understand what they're doing, but, like, we're observing them as we go along. Because I feel like if you would, like, as the show progresses, especially with the the Cardassians and Vulcan Romulans, like, as you observe those people, you see, like, the cultures and what the cultures are about. And right. so, you know, I think... Over time, even though we're hinting at a Gorn War, we're going to see, like, what they're about, you know? Like, they have these breeding planets where they inject aliens with their eggs and kidnap people. Yeah, like, Gorn Gorn society uh, evolves to the point where they realize they don't have to, like, murder in order to, like, breed. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. Like, I, I really like that idea. Yeah, like... Watching their society rapidly in real time, like, change. You know, it's like watching the Industrial Revolution happen before right. our eyes, you know? Yeah. Uh, would it surprise you to know that there was a Gorn on Enterprise at one point? That is surprising, yes. Yeah, I, you know, if you're never going to watch Enterprise, that's totally fine and it's your prerogative. I don't blame you. Yeah. But if you were to decide to watch any of it, I would really recommend... There's a two-parter that takes place entirely in the Mirror Universe. I believe it's called In a Mirror Darkly. Okay, and I love the Mirrorverse, so... So it's like the characters of Enterprise, but of course they're Terran Empire-like versions. Mm -hmm. So it's not, you know, the Archer we know. He starts out as actually the first officer of the evil Enterprise. And as uh, sort of hinted at in the original series episode, Mirror Mirror Vulcan is like a slave state. Um, Yeah. What happens in this episode is that the evil version of the crew discovers the Constitution class, USS Defiant, um, Mm -hmm. which you may remember from the original series was in the episode The Tholian Web, where it was like bleeping, beeping in and out of the universe. Mm -hmm. So they discover what to them is a 100 years in advance, advanced starship, you know, that they then use uh, to advance themselves more technologically in the mirror universe, which actually is referenced again in discovery in that first season. Yeah. Um, But in that episode, because it is sort of a fan love letter, there is a Gorn that's loose on the defiant at some point. And it's mostly kept in the shadows, which is for the best because it's kind of lurking and it's a full CGI creature. And it actually does kind of look like a point in the evolution, like not, biological but um yeah vfx wise the evolution between uh the gorn and the original series and the gorn that we see here yeah so i i like the way they're using the gorn and i i, I really liked this this is an alien love letter uh star trek yeah. episode where it's like alien but we're all star trek people so we're gonna use the uh problem solving skills that we gained from that was interesting i i think that that one is marred for me a little bit by and this also is part of the problem that i had with um 
the Under the Cloak of War, and even before Mm -hmm. that, The Broken Circle, which I enjoyed, but I am kind of sick of the constant hand-to-hand combat in modern Trek. Like, there's way too much of it. There's There's too much of it for a Star Trek show where, like, the point is to, like, handle things diplomatically and Mm -hmm. to, like, you know, seek the resolution of conflict through exchange, not violence. And so that one has Spock sort of coming unchained because he, like, like, gets rid of his Vulcan mental discipline so that he can go ham on these, like, corn. Yeah. And that also happens where both uh, Chapel and Mbinga take, like, I don't know, speed or something. Yeah, there's this drug that they we get revealed in Under the Cloak of War has been banned, but the Klingons are still using it. That is, like, a strength and whatever enhancing drug with, like, a lot of adrenaline in it. And, yeah, it's like... Yeah, it's like PCP that you can take before you go and fight a bunch of Klingons hand to hand. Yeah. And so it's established in The Broken Circle, which is the premiere of season two, that this Mm -hmm. exists because Chapel and Mbinga take a bunch of it. And then I'm not going to pretend like they're not cool fight scenes, but like, it's really not what I'm like coming to Star Trek for is all of this hand to hand combat. And so much of it kind of feeling very similar like narratively what is the difference between you know unshackling spock from his emotion and unshackling them from like you know a poor performance like they're very similar in a way that feels repetitive Mm -hmm. even though like i said before i love this show i have very few complaints but that is one of them and i think that that's also kind of what i didn't care about in under the cloak of war was and why it went a little bit lower for me was that i don't have that much interest in this particular uh, PST, uh, PTSD story. Although yeah. you were saying this is the better Mbinga episode than yeah, Allegiant I think Kingdom, it's, I which think I it's would the agree. better Mbinga episode for sure. Um, but yeah, I think we're getting to the point of diplomacy with the Gorn because in the season two finale, they see the Gorn again and the Gorn has taken over another planet to be a breeding planet. And what they're after is extracting people from the planet, which they do so with very little violence. And uh, they inadvertently, you know, get the Gorn angry for that. But, like, you know, I don't think they were doing as much violence to the Gorn in that episode. Um, they were just, it was just a rescue mission. And so I thought that was really interesting. And I actually. It kind of made me angry where we left off on a total cliffhanger, but, you know, that's fine. And if we get to see uh, Scotty in younger form being a disorganized disaster, apparently, which was interesting. I... I didn't hate that revelation. I didn't in the hate that either. I actually, you know, I love Scotty. I'm down for yeah, more I love Scotty. Scotty too. My only concern is I hope that they don't just like get rid of Carol Kane because she was, yes. like I said, one of my few concerns, my few criticisms. She was very underutilized. Yeah. Uh, in this season, um, I don't, I don't know what her health is. I know that she's, you know, I know that she's getting up there but she still seems to have a lot of vitality so it doesn't seem like she's too tired to work i'm sure she would love to be there more and i would love for her to be there more yeah she's she's amazing 
she like I kept saying I was like this is what the show needed is Carol Kane just running around being yeah. insane I love it she like it's like the uh, slightly chiller version of her character in Scrooged a little bit yes <laughs> she's yes. just like take no shit uh, going around knowing exactly what she's doing um, I think one episode that I really like her in is uh, the Lost in Translation episode where Uhura is hearing a strange like sound and then seeing things and has to figure out like what is this am I going crazy and eventually it's revealed that this is the way an alien species is trying to communicate with them and yeah it's this is very interesting um episode to me and it's another one of those episodes where I'm just like this show has done Ohura so much justice. It's just like Ohura, as a cadet, yeah. learned about every like little section and like was a boss about it. But especially engineering. So like, she not only has like linguistics and the soft sciences, she knows quite a bit about the engineering section because she was like BFFs with Himmer. So it's yeah. like she's such a badass. Yeah, and that ties back to the original series as well, where. Mm-hmm. You- you know, it was sort of groundbreaking to see her working on her own equipment. There's a bunch of yes. episodes of the original series where Nichelle Nichols as Uhura is like down under her station doing like, you know, yeah. microprocessor work. Uh-huh. So that it's not like that's like a it's not non-canonical or anything. People can't complain yes. about it. She's always been good at her job. Yeah, she's always been good at her job. And uh, Uhura might be my captain, actually. And I don't actually care if that is a thing that's true. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Yuhara became captain and admiral eventually late in her life. She did you know become admiral, yeah. Um, but yeah, Uhura is my captain, one hundred percent. I don't even need a show to know that Uhura is my captain. Yeah, I um, I I put kind of ghosts of Illyria a little low on here. Um, yeah, along with under the cloak of war. Yeah, um, I will say though. So we talked about my number one is Ad Astra. My number two mm-hmm. is A Quality of Mercy, which I want to circle back on. My three was the Lower Decks episode, which, you know, I enjoyed it a lot yeah. because of my familiarity with those characters. And then the two comedies, the Spockamuck and Charades, right next to each oh. other, which, although so I think Charades, Charades was so good. I it's especially so good. everything with T'Pring's mother. This yes. show has really made me care about T'Pring. I love T'Pring and I keep being like, she's too good for him. And and she's, she's gonna so realize that him. eventually. Like canonically, she does figure that yeah. out. <laughs> but yeah, she is way too good for him. She is incredible. She is gorgeous and smart and great at her job. And yeah, she's yeah. too good for Spock. Yeah. And I love Spock. I love everything with her mother and in, in charades. But I think Spock Amok got the like um, the lead very slightly just because of how much I love his bad dream at the beginning of that one where he's yes. like dreaming about a mock time essentially mm-hmm. um but then he has this vision of himself as fully vulcan uh facing off against like himself as fully human which of course is, yeah. is comes back around in charades which was a nice bit of foreshadowing and then i have um the serene squall with my number six yes and then i have those two gorn episodes right back to back i th- i did put all those who wander which is the aliens one a mm-hmm. little bit higher than hegemony um yeah. just because uh maybe that one's a little more recent and fresh i did love that one i really enjoyed the introduction of scotty yeah i enjoyed the ending with scotty i 
like where they're going with the Gorn. Like I said, I have my own fan theory, but ending a season on a cliffhanger is always like painful. It's so painful. Yeah, and I what I'll say about Hegemony that put it a little lower too is like that one. There's so much just like dark back alley wandering around in front of yes. chain link fences. Yeah, that is just. It, it's it's very just, sliders like, weird, it's like weird it's, fi- fires everywhere <laughs> like yeah like i i get that you know oh it's immediately post invasion but I, I i didn't quite read very well for me personally and i think that that's part of um yeah it why... felt very like we're trying to make like a zombie invasion sort of move but instead yeah. it just kind of looks silly hegemony by virtue of taking place on like another constitution class ship they're able to use all of the sets that they already have standing and just yeah. kind of like dirty them up a little bit. And so the sort of production quality on that one, I think is a little higher too, as a result, rather than, you know, having Anson Mount and all of them like wandering around like a back lot um, yeah. somewhere. I also like this weird planet. That's like, you know, what era is great. The fifties, we're going to have a small town fifties colony. It's the, weirdest thing to me yeah i mean but at least like it doesn't seem racist like at least there were people of all races wandering around doing jobs but i'm still just like what is going on here with y'all what what sort of mass delusion are y'all under it's something that you actually do see even now of people romanticizing a time that was like so racist and like backward like i don't care how good poodle skirts were like come on they definitely seem to be more interested in like soda hop, yeah. Fif- you know, Riverdale fifties, and yeah, not very um, much Riverdale fifties. You know, not like back of the bus uh, segregated water fountain fifties. Yeah. So uh, it, it's strange. Yeah, I, I'll I, <laughs> you'll get no argument from me. Um, one thing that one of the ones that we haven't talked on at all. We talked a little bit about Children of the Comet, but mm-hmm. we haven't talked at all about Lift Us Where Suffering <gasps> Cannot Reach. Oh my god. That was an episode that gave me so many feelings. Yeah, that one's a lot. I kind of cried a little bit. Yeah. It's the trolley problem, but it's, it's yeah, hard. it's those who walk away from Omalas. I don't know if you're familiar with that. No. Uh it's a short story by uh I want to say Ursula Kayla Gwen. Yes, it's Ursula oh, Kayla Gwen. Really? I, and somehow I haven't, I, I don't know this one. So weird. Because I've, I've read so much of her. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a philosophical, uh, philosophical fiction where a person wakes up in this utopian world and then they learn the truth that their entire like society, which is perfect and, and unblemished, requires the constant suffering of an innocent, like one singular innocent. And so, yeah, it is sort of like a, a trolley problem, and and it's very similar to this episode. And I, I think you would really not enjoy it as much as you enjoy something like this. But it's it's very um, it's a very fascinating and a great work by her. A very fascinating story and a great work by her. Yeah, I will read this immediately afterwards. Um, but I did really this one might be one of my top ones actually, even though it gave me a lot of feelings. Um, just because like. Oof. Oof. It was one of those episodes where Star Trek yeah, gets gets real with the philosophy discussions. And despite my dislike of like taking philosophy classes or reading philosophy, I like it when Star Trek does it. 
So right, it's a very uh, it's a very interesting one. I, I love the uh, I don't know. It's kind of hard to get into it. I guess we've already just spoiled what the whole point is, but um, we should we should talk about it a little because it we're saying you know it's basically the trolley problem, but it's like kind of even more like heart wrenching because in this um there's like a distress call on a ship and this kid has been kidnapped um and he's like a holy child for this planet and he's like the chosen one and so they like save him bring him aboard and as the plot goes on and you see this child and he's brilliant and like adorable and wants to have friends in the universe and like He's just like the ideal kid. Let's let's put it that way. Just like precocious uh and like building his own like radio transmitter out of stuff he finds in Sick Bay. And this is a highly like evolved planet that doesn't want to be part of the Federation also. Um and through the episode you learn that the reason why he's being kidnapped is he's going to be sacrificed in sort of like a energy sucking device to save his planet because otherwise if he's not there the planet does not function goes to disaster total apocalypse for this planet and this planet otherwise is like an ideal society everybody has health care everything's so advanced like and it's also worth noting i think it's part of the point of that um in the in the episode they talk about how uh, in comparison, a lot of Starfleet technology seems like kind of infantile because yes. of how much more developed they are technologically. Mm-hmm. But they actually don't know how any of it works. Yes. It's all left over from like a precursor society. So they're actually just like using something that was left behind yeah. rather than understanding its functionality. And in some ways, we're getting to that point with like digital objects and like computers and things. Like if you ask modern computer coders like it's really just becoming like a regular ass job like they won't know like the base languages or anything like and i i've talked to let's get my thomas about this because he's a computer programmer from like for years and years so like listening to him talk about the industry now like it's a lot of like formulas you can plug in so you know it's it's interesting to see like that this is happening currently. So, you know, it's not that far off either. <laughs> so yeah, we have this society and they're not sharing it's their a, technology. It's a warning. Yeah. It's a warning. They're not sharing their technology as well. And I, part of it is because of this, because otherwise I'm being a child who we have already talked about ascended to energy level would be cured from this rare blood disease she has. Right. So Yeah. It's a very interesting world where things are perfect. And so you can have this world where, like, no one's suffering, everybody's perfect, and lose this child, or you destroy a whole place to save one kid's life, um, is basically how it goes. Yeah. And in the end, like, you watch the kid be put into, like, this life sucking device and, like, choose to do it. And it's just, oh, yeah. That was, that was one of my top ones, though, I think. Because it, it felt very, like, Star Trek at its roots. 
to me. It's it's right. It's it's like right right in the middle for me. But that's because I put some of the comedy episodes so high. Yeah. I like the Gorn episodes more. Yeah. I do love the comedy episodes, though. I don't think I have, like, an organized list. I just have ones that I, I'm like, I love this. Uh, so I did it very quickly right before we started yeah. because I wanted to uh, be prepared. I will say, you know, you don't seem to have enjoyed the first season finale, A Quality of Mercy, as much as I did. Yeah, I guess I'm still not sold on Kirk as a character. Like, I do like seeing that, like... Kirk's like weird impulsive attitude is what saves it because you know we know that part of Kirk being Kirk is just like sometimes he's just like fuck the rules I'm doing it my way um whereas like Pike really like waffle waffles over things and thinks them through and thinks about protocol you know as they say multiple times you know he's Starfleet's boy scout right so it's interesting to see, like, Kirk being like, oh, whatever. James Kirk was many things. But yeah. He was never a Boy Scout. No. Yeah, I I really love this version of Pike. I think Anson Mount makes him very warm. Yes. Um, and I find him very, like, uh, he has a very Picard-esque quality about him where you feel sort of comforted by his on-screen presence. And I know that there's, like, a whole, like, gay Star Trek and community that's just like oh yeah daddy pike so i'm like oh yeah i can see that i haven't overlapped with that in my venn diagram oh yeah well you you might get there the when pike first pike from the future first shows up and he's wearing that like wrath of khan film era maroon uniform yeah it immediately was like became my favorite of the season like, and I, maybe that's just a real dumb thing, but I knew it was about, like, I'm not saying I'm so shallow that that won me over, but I am saying that I knew that I was going to love where the story went from there. Yeah, like, I don't hate it, but yeah, it's definitely not my favorite. I don't hate any of the episodes. It's just, right. you know, there's some that I'm like, eh. This one, to me, it kind of feels like one way we could describe it as a more serious trials and tribulations yeah yeah because it is examining like an original series episode from a new perspective mm-hmm. um you know with with one of our our leads um really taking that like uh, observation spot yes and i love that they chose the balance of terror as the original series episode that they would homage in this because yes. you know that wedding that happens at the beginning of Balance of Terror, mm-hmm. it's one of those things about the show where you kind of don't remember what episode that's in. Like, it yeah. could happen in any of them. And, of course, the important point in that episode is that, you know, they're about to have this wedding, and then one of the crewmen who was going to be married because of the events of the episode ends up killed uh, in a battle. And so it has this, you know, very poignant ending. Um in this, the you recognize like, oh, we're in an original series episode. The moment that Pike appears, yeah, uh, as the person who is performing this wedding ceremony instead of Kirk, but you don't immediately think, oh, I'm in Balance of Terror, right? You think, oh, yeah, what, which episode is which this? Which episode is this? Yeah. So it kind of keeps you off balance for a minute, and then you're like, oh, it's Balance of Terror, and you're like, oh, so this is also kind of a, a tapestry style episode, right? Where mm-hmm. in that when um, Picard gets to see what his life would have been like if he hadn't suffered 
a pretty major injury as the result of his um, immaturity when he was a young man. Um, in this, we get to see how a certain narrative would have played out if Pike has, does not actually die, as we were talking about, or become um, wheelchair-bound. Functionally, he, he thinks it's his death. Right. Um, you know, he knows that he's headed towards that. He has this moment of reflection where he thinks about uh, whether or not to warn these people that he's going to save in the future so that he doesn't have to sacrifice himself. And then this version of himself from the future appeal appears, you know, it's a wonderful lifestyle to mm-hmm. be like, no, if you do this, here is all of the horrible consequences and how it will play out. So yeah. then we get to flash forward to the, to a Pike and uh, an enterprise facing the events of balance of terror, but under the command of Pike. And that even though he lives it actually his, presence at that decisive moment in history requires it it's not you know you think about star trek six and there's that joking quote about only nixon can go to china right only (laughs) kirk only kirk can make the singular right decision in balance of terror that does not lead to an intergalactic war even though we love pike and even though he's a great leader he can't be the man who makes that decision because sometimes the decision has to fall to someone who can make a different choice. Yeah, sometimes the decision falls to an impulsive rule breaker full of chaos, and I respect that. Uh, yeah, and and that was what I really loved about it was it's like, you know, um, just because someone can be great at their job doesn't mean that they're always the person for that job at the point in time that they might find themselves. And also, it's like a reminder that, like, there is something special about Kirk. Um, yeah. And I love Paul Wesley's, like, version of him. I, he's, I, I like his, um, there's, he, he's, I see Kirk in him, you know? I see yeah. the Shatner performance. It's not yeah, a direct. Yeah, I see the Shatner moment. performance. And I like that he's not totally aping Shatner. Yeah. It could very easily fall into parody. Mm-hmm. Um if it were a little uh, pushed a little further, but it's also that we are reminded of like the qualities of Kirk that we love that are not always the ones that are remembered in pop culture. Like, you know, Kirk, if you ask a random person is like, Oh yeah, he's a womanizer. He sleeps with all the green women and the blue women. Yeah. But like, that's not, you know, one of the things that we also know. Yeah. And at the Academy, he was a huge nerd. Yeah. Like, that's one of the things that we know is like he was bullied at the academy for just being such a geek. Yeah. Um, you know, and we get I, I see that Kirk in him. And I really I like that as well. well I think I he think was overutilized in season the Abrams. two. Abrams Kirk. Yeah. Abrams Kirk ruined the personification of Kirk. You know, like, yes, yeah. in the show, he's a little bit of a womanizer, but it's not nearly to the degree that like Abrams ran with it. Yeah. Um, you're not wrong. Especially because, like, you know, we he has his little, like, boyfriend moments with Spock. Yeah, that moment, I mean, look, this is, this is, this is the ship, yeah. right? Of You can't not, you can't not have it, you know? Abrams made Star Trek a little too straight, I guess, is the problem. Yeah, and ironically, that's the one where they let Sulu, like, they actually have a gay Sulu, so. Yeah, somehow, somehow he did yeah. it. So... I, I one of the things that I one of the other things I wanted to bring up about how much I loved a quality of mercy is like they actually do like the Kirk eyelights, you know what I'm talking about? 
Yeah. Where in the original series, like they would get, they would do like, they would have Shatner do a face and they would zoom in on him and they would just mm-hmm. have like this narrow band of light illuminating his eyes. Yeah. They do that all over a quality of mercy. And I really appreciated that yeah. attention to detail. There's a lot of episodes that are just like filmed exactly like the original series. And yeah. I love it. And like all of the episodes where the ship's shaking and like everybody is definitely just like doing the whole shaky ship act. Right. Oh, uh, I'm very into it. <laughs> very, very much. Well, yeah. Um, you know, I know that you didn't necessarily rank them uh, the same way that I did, but what would you say were your top five? Just for just for anybody out there wondering who wants to know ex- your what well, what top five do you have? Well, we got Ad Aspera, Aster, Astra, Aspera, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, we've got charades. Mm -hmm. I love charades. Um, Yeah, like both of the uh, ridiculous Spock episodes I liked, even though I keep being like, oh my god, why are they doing this to me? Um, I really like the Serene Squall because hot hot goth pirate chick. How can you not? Um, And I like the Gorn episodes. Um, Gorn aliens. Yeah, Yeah. the Gorn aliens. So I think that's that's my, my top ones. We're aligned pretty closely because yeah, yeah. Ad, Ad Astra is my is my number one. The quality of Mercy right behind it, and then the lower decks episode, which is just a matter of personal preference. Yeah, and then the two spot comedies, and yeah. then Serene Squall and the, the aliens from there. So we're pretty closely aligned. Yeah, I didn't I I didn't expect us to both um dislike the the musical. Uh, I thought you oh, might have really? enjoyed it. No, I thought it was something. And I will say I was primed to enjoy it because earlier that week um we talked about this when we last recorded i watched uh best little whorehouse in texas that week oh yeah yeah so i was was actually like really primed yeah i was primed to enjoy it i started out like it and then it just dragged on i i uh, there are so many of the songs that are boring none of them are done for comedic purposes except maybe the scene in the bar yes and that's one of the best numbers that i think is uh, that one and celia rose gooding's big one at the end where everybody has to sing together yes those are definitely the two musical numbers that i was like "Mm, i'm won over a little bit by this where i don't i i don't like it but i don't hate it either yeah yeah um but it's definitely not one of the best episodes at all because yeah it just like drags on and it's like i get it Lon has to come to terms with her emotions. Yes, yes. But I'm like, I don't want her to. I yeah. love my ice queen. <laughs> Let's keep her. <laughs> yeah. It was it was much more fun to watch it with my friend and like make up our own songs yes. about what the characters would be singing about. So and you know, when Laon is doing her like sad, slow ballad about yeah. banging Kirk in the past. Uh-huh. We were making up more fun songs about like how do you explain to someone you did the pa- the nasty and the pasty but it wasn't you, <laughs> yeah you know like it that would have been one that could have been a fun song and it would yeah. have like subverted expectations and like kept kind of the energy of the episode higher, but instead they shot it like a really cheap Canadian music video. Yes, and I I just I can't I can't defend it. Like there are things in the show where I'm like. Mm, well, it's not perfect but like i would still defend the choices made like a singing career or what because she also sings in the elysian kingdom so i'm just like right is she trying to start a music career like she, are i think they that she did just release a single yeah 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 that makes sense yeah 
Prince Spiner never did that, okay? Yeah, he did. Oh, he did? Yes. I don't remember him, like... Well, I know he's a musician, but I don't remember him, like, really promoting it, so... Well, maybe I just forget the the album I'm immediately thinking of. Let's see. It's from 1991. So it would have been during the show's run. It's called Old Yellow Eyes is Back. Um, (laughs) And it was so it was during the run of the show. Uh, I don't know that we necessarily saw him like, you know, sing on the show in order to specifically kind of sell his um, record. But, but you he know he sings in yeah in Nemesis. I think he sings in a couple of the episodes where there's like a jazz band and like Riker's playing trombone. No, but no, I don't think so. I what you're, I think what you're thinking of is him singing with the jazz band at Troy and Riker's uh, wedding mm-hmm. at the beginning, and then he also right before that in Insurrection they had the scene where he and Picard have to sing. Um, I, I, what is it? It's not Three Little Maids from School or We, but it's from that same musical that um, Rogers and Hammerstein. They sing that song together while Data is like zapped by lightning, and th- that's how they capture him. Do you remember this? No, I don't think I've yeah. seen Insurrection actually. Don't. Okay. I wouldn't. It's fine. Uh, at best, it's fine. At worst, it's. There's a scene in it where. Um, Picard and Data and some like uh, people who live on this planet end up in water and Data's like, oh, it's okay. I've been designed to serve as a flotation device. And then his like lower half (laughs) blows up and it it has like an air sound to it, like a fart. And so just, just bearing that in mind, I wouldn't bother. But Shatner also had a musical career and so did Nimoy. Yeah, Nimoy had a great musical career, you know? Yeah. I love the, the Bilbo song. I only say that because of the Bilbo, Bilbo song. I have not listened to anything else. It's uh, interesting. I have a 19, I have a vinyl um, that belonged to my grandmother or maybe my mother oh my when God. she was a teenager of uh, Leonard Nimoy presents Mr. Spock's music from outer space. Uh, I'm so jealous. So, yeah. I have listened to a lot of the Kirk music, actually, but yes. His Common People cover is infamous in my friend group. Oh, yeah. Because and, they used and to play well it beloved. on KL- Y'all used to play it on KLSU. Yeah, we used to play it. <laughs> yeah, I, I played it more at uh, KNWD in high yeah. school. Um, but then when I moved to KLSU... Um, Kat had kind of already claimed it as her own, and so she played it a lot, and so I didn't, but uh, it is well-beloved within our uh, circle. Yeah, so I've, I've listened to more more, uh, more Shatner, but... And I yeah. listened to, like, there was an interview with Shatner I recently listened to where it was just like, what a strange man, and just, like, purposely a contrarian, and I'm still just like, why... Why is he my problematic fave? I don't understand. Like, I understand that he's horrible, but I'm still just like, okay, yeah. Shatner. I, uh, we've talked to, have we talked about this joke before about how, like, Leonard Nimoy and Spock would get along? Yes. But that Kirk would beat Shatner's ass in an yes. Applebee's parking lot? I don't, I'm sorry, I can't credit the person who wrote that joke. I don't know who it is. That's, um, but if you Google it and, um, Apartheid Clyde hasn't permanently broken Twitter by the time that you are listening to this. Maybe you can find the original post. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Uh, but I also know that, like, you know, Nimoy was uh, 
intermittently friends with him and intermittently like oh bill so you know if he can if he can have that relationship with Niwe, i feel like i i'm allowed to be like oh bill but also you're so weird <laughs> i can't i can't look away and i have a fondness for how strange you are i i don't know he's been to space He's been to space, and his thoughts on space were very... His his little space thing was very, like... It was weirdly wholesome, his thoughts on going yeah. to space. And then everybody around him was just like, yeah, 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 old man. Um, which I was like, oh my god. Yeah, yeah. I feel for Bill mm. right now. <laughs> yeah. Don't don't you dare make me feel sorry for Bill Shatner. Right, right? How dare you? How dare you? Well, um... I had a list of things that we had the possibility of talking about if we ran out of time, but we're almost yeah, at two hours. Yeah, I was going to and... say, I don't think we ran out of time. I think we uh, covered a lot of why Strange New Worlds is great and why people should watch it. Yeah, uh, we made a lot of digressions oh, yes. to the references to past Star Trek. Um, you can't. You got a promotion, not. but from the beginning of the podcast. I did. To now. I know. I I got. Um, I'm now. You got a, a whole new pip. I got more pips. Well, I'm you know just gunning for captain. If we combine our pips, you could be captain. I could give you my pips, and then you okay. have four. Yeah, yeah. You're gonna go work. <laughs> you're gonna go be a, a bartender and stir up the drama. Um, I'll, yeah. I'll be captain. It's fine. I'm like, I'll be like. Kynan, did you know? And she'll be like, "Yeah, I know Wait, everything. What are you talking everything about? Everything you heard, I heard last week." Yeah. Um. Yeah. Well, uh, it gets a big recommendation from us. Yeah. Um, I guess we're gonna um boldly go enjoy the rest of our days. Yeah, we are. It's finally uh forest fire smoky where I am, which is upsetting, but it was only a matter of time. Um, it is yeah. the surface of the sun where you are. Uh, yeah. yeah, we're just gonna throw on some uh, background ship noises and try and take a Zen moment to deal with the apocalypse um, that is climate change. Yeah, may history remember us as those who podcasted while Rome burned. Yeah, yeah. I mean, hopefully we'll live through the post-atomic horror to continue to podcast, but who really knows? Yeah, who knows at this point? Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and say goodnight, everyone. Listen long and prosper. If yeah, that's I was going to say live long and prosper, but listen long and prosper. It's cringy, but I love it. So, yeah. Just like Star Trek. Yeah. Peace I, and long I episode, I, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if we ever talked about this. I guess I have one more thing to say. Yeah. I did. Did you ever watch Babylon 5? <laughs> I did not. And I've heard that I should. Like, there's some people that are like, oh, I like it better than Star Trek. And I'm like, can it? Can that be so... <laughs> I yeah, we, I understand oh, I about that. I understand your hesitation, and it was really groundbreaking for its time, you know, as far as like introducing serialized sci-fi television to the masses. Mm-hmm. I watched like the premiere pilot movie, and it was kind of goofy. But then the very first like episode proper opens with like a bridge set with the aliens with the big like hair fans on it and i had this moment of self-realization where i was like oh this is what star trek looks like to people who don't love star trek like that don't like it's so deep in my brain that i just accept all of it it's like yeah all of it is fine it doesn't matter how goofy looking it is like it Mm -hmm. looks real to me but watching it like seeing something that is of the same kind of um quality 
with fresh eyes, I had a moment where I was like, oh, am I like the cringiest person alive? Like that I don't, yeah. I'm never embarrassed by any of this. So that's, that's me. I'm not embarrassed by this at all. I say, listen long and prosper, everybody. Security detects no threat.